two and two and one. Oh, shucks, I can't dance. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Open Gov, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro, and today I am joined by Kishana Peck. She is the founder and executive director of the Women X and Data Science Conference, an event geared for women in data science who pride themselves on providing a platform for women from diverse backgrounds to showcase their career journeys and knowledge. The conference itself is a two-day event where you get a chance to hear from women in academia, industry, government, and startups about how they apply data science to their work. And the second day is a workshop. And today, Kishana will tell us the remarkable history of this staple Toronto conference. Hello, Kishana, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Richard. So tell us, why did you create this conference in the first place? So I created this conference because I was looking for conferences to go to. And I could only find conferences out of the country for women in data science. So I thought someone should make one in Toronto. I found the conference at Stanford and I was, I looked around and I couldn't find any in Toronto. So I was like, oh, someone should do one in Toronto. And I found their ambassadors page. And then I was like, oh, someone should sign up for this. And some way, somehow I convinced myself (laughs) to sign up for it. I had never planned a conference before, just basically small events I've done with friends. But some way, somehow, I was able to plan it in six weeks because noticing that I was the only in doing data work, like you don't see a lot of females doing data work. I wanted to just kind of bring more representation to show that there are women in the field doing this work. And actually, Toronto is really rich with a lot of females doing a lot of data science work here. And, and to be a bit more clear, it was not a conference in Stanford, although, yes, it was in Stanford, but it was actually a, a specifically branded Stanford Data Science Conference that they kind of franchised across North America. And you were kind of like a TEDx talk a little bit or TEDx event that you were bringing to Toronto. So talk a little bit about that sort of relationship as sort of building up that courage and reaching out to them and 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 the relationship between you and Stanford in creating that first event? When I first started, I was a product analyst and I was maybe one year into my role when I started. So I was really nervous about it, but I had this sort of energy of why not? There's these other people doing it. Why can I just do it? It's probably not as hard as I think it's gonna be. And I reached out to them. They agreed, didn't have anyone in Toronto to represent for their franchised conference. So it was a perfect fit for them. They gave me some information about their branding that I could use to help get it out there, which was really helpful in the beginning because nobody knew who I was. No one knew what this was. So having their co-branding on everything really helped with the awareness, but they, they leave it on the ambassadors to do all of the planning, like the venue planning, the sponsorship, the catering, the tickets, everything is on the ambassadors to do. It's basically just for awareness, the partnership with um, Stanford and the Women in Data Science Conference over there. So after I reached out to them, 
I also, I was working full time. So I would use every night to do things <laughs> like find speakers, find sponsors, find venues, find food, find people to attend this conference. Uh, so I had, I had a lot of sleepless nights, but there was something in just knowing that I had a deadline and I had to, I, I had already told people I was doing this thing. So I had to do it that made me just complete it. And I found that the more that I spoke about it, the more I was getting assistance with it. So there's a lot of community events in Toronto, like TechTO or um, the Open Gov events that used to happen. I would speak about them there and people would, people would become interested and they would either offer their help or they would attend. So I found like with speaking about it more, it became more real. Like at first it was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And hopefully it'll be like in a back room of the library. That, <laughs> that was my initial thought. Um, and then I ended, I ended out with about 120 people at a venue that I didn't even know I could, I didn't even know I could rally that many people. And you're being actually very humble a little bit here in terms of the amount of work that you had to do in, in a six-week period because putting a conference, especially like not something just in the back of a library, it takes a lot of effort. You were able to harness or marshal a $12,000 budget and you were able to, you were, you, you were telling me in the pre-interview that you secured sponsors on a Cancun trip. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I had booked a trip to Cancun before I knew that I was organizing a conference with some friends. So while they were sleeping in the morning, I was on sponsorship calls, which already with like internet connection was like super spotty. Um, I secured my venue when I was walking through the airport to go <laughs> to Cancun. <laughs> and I secured two sponsors while I was in Cancun. And I sold my first tickets when I was on the cab ride back to the airport. <laughs> the, uh, one of the things that we shared as well was sort of this idea that if you want anything to get done, give it to a busy person and you seem to be really committed. And, and I want to ask you that as you're doing it, because a lot of people that watch from a distance, the kind of work that say, for example, a, an event organizer will do or a community organizer will do, you almost, they seem like, how could you do it? But in my experience, a lot of the times it's like, you don't even realize you're doing it. You, it's almost like you look back and you're, I can't believe I dedicate that, that much time. But maybe for you, it was a little bit different. Maybe you were feeling the hours and maybe you were like, man, I, I got some doubts. Maybe it's not going to happen. And, and can, can you tell us about that, that tight six weeks of yours and, and how you were feeling throughout the whole process? Well, every time that I do it, because it's the third year that we've had a conference now, I never feel it until it's done. Yeah. Like, I never feel that I've been so busy till it's done. Like, it's yeah. the first conference that I did. It wasn't until the next day that I noticed that I had done the conference. Mm -hmm. Like, it was family members and friends being like, oh, wow, that was so great. And I was like, it's done? <laughs> I was expecting to wake up and do more work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I find that like, if you give yourself a longer period of time to do something, that's how long it will take you to do something. It's probably a healthy thing to kind of try to finish things in short amount of times and see where you can push yourself to. So I find that that's what I do with the conference. It's like the whole year I could do barely anything. And then when conference time comes around, it's just like, I'm shooting on all cylinders. 
it's like a, a project will always take as long as there's time allotted for it to be completed a little yeah. bit. And um, so, so you do the first conference, it, it goes off great, but there was something that you noticed that you knew you wanted to fix. Yeah. And that was that you were the only black face in the room. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and how you were able to, to fix that going forward or, or the steps that you took to make sure that wasn't the case in future events. So basically on the first conference, there's like a volunteer table in the back, which is me, my family, some friends. And I was looking around and I noticed that we were the only black people there, which is <laughs> me because I'm a black woman organizing a conference. And also I noticed when I was looking for speakers, it's very difficult to find speakers of color in general. Um, so the following years, I was like, in order for me to change that dynamic, first of all, I'm not going to be able to find speakers if the pipeline isn't ready. So if there aren't black people going into data fields, I'm not going to have speakers. Like I'm not going to have black speakers. Like that's just it. So I started speaking to schools more to understand like who I could get from like what students I could get to come in, community organizations. I started seeing what companies and organizations would sponsor tickets for students because that was a barrier for them. I started actually showing my face more. So before I was kind of like hiding behind saying like, yeah, yeah, this thing happens. I don't know how it happens. And I may slightly be involved. Um, <laughs> but I found that more people noticed that it was me. They were kind of like, oh, there's someone like me that's doing work like this. So maybe I should go listen and see what that's about. Yeah, yeah. And just being really intentional about the pipeline, because if you're, if you're going to complain that you don't have the people at the highest level, like you need to think back at like the pipeline of like why you're not getting why you're not getting them in and i found that that was the most important piece that i was able to fix in the second year which we doubled attendance so and that's one of the things real quick going back to um to the pipeline that i found particularly ingenious about what you were doing with the women in data conference it was not just a conference you were literally actively growing the community and one of the stories that you had shared with me is that some of the people that were attendees in your conferences are now becoming speakers at your conference. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we had a few attendees from previous years apply to be speakers. And some of them were actually selected to be speakers this year where they're like, okay, like I've gone to your conferences and I really like them and I'm going to try to speak. And they've actually been amazing. And it's kind of, it's really nice to see it kind of full circle that it's like, okay, like you were sitting watching people on stage and now you are the people on stage. So it's nice to see that transition. And that's what I hope for more years to come, that it's, it's the same people who are attendees can also share their knowledge and become speakers or workshop facilitators. Let's switch gears a little bit to going back to that first event, because you're sort of fresh face into the space as well from a historical perspective, you're fresh face with data science, uh, because you had been at a job, you, you, you were a post-grad into data science. You really, it's not something that was part of your career plans. Am I wrong in, in, in thinking this? No, I was more leaning on like analytics. So mm -hmm. data science was like kind of like this mystical land that I just wanted to learn about. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, if I, if I run a conference, 
I'll be able to learn about it, forgetting that I will be running around like, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you actually don't get a chance to listen to the speakers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how I'm curious to know, like, one of the things that I harp on quite a bit when it comes to the space that we're in is that for the most part, it's not sexy, right? It, it's it's really a dry, boring type of material that it's not going to compete with the Kardashians kind of deal, right? In terms of eyeballs. But I'm always kind of interested to know what people find, people like yourself, find attractive about the space that motivates them in the hopes that maybe the way you talk about it, that your passion will lead to other people to, to feel that same feeling that you have. Well, with me, I feel like data can be applied to anything. Like you could have an interest in anything and apply data to it. Um, so creatively, like I really like music and there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that's being done in like music analytics right now, like even Spotify, like it recommending songs for you. So I just find that it, because it's in everyday life now that it should be of interest. And also like the ethics side really interests me as well. So whenever we're planning for the conference, like we usually have three kind of streams. So we have like technical, we have business applications and we have ethics. And I feel like having that split kind of lets everyone leave with something, something that they know and something that like they didn't know before. The, the ethics element, you and I, we did a pre-interview going to this. And for example, we shared the fact that we both do not have any sort of Google Homes or Alexas, uh, things of that, the technology of that nature, I mean. But I'm curious to know, how did the conversations around data ethics typically go at your conference? Um, from the audience side, it's they're, they're learning. So they're like, whoa, like I didn't know all of this was happening. Or, or they may know some, but they don't know the depth that that speaker is bringing. So they become more aware of what they're opting into because if something's free, you're opting into something and you're exchanging your data for free, right? Um, so they're becoming more aware of it. And also I find that the speakers are really knowledgeable what they're talking about ethics wise. So like they're becoming like authorities on it and making you think differently about what is actually going on in the world. Because I find like, as we get more technologically advanced, I don't think it's only people that are in data science that should understand the ethics of it. Because there's a lot of people who attend the conference who are not in data, but they wanna know about it. So when they notice that they're consumers of the output, it kind of frames it for them. So they start thinking about their privacy and start thinking about those long terms and conditions that you keep saying yes to, but you're not really sure what you're saying yes to. They are starting to have more conversations about what is actually going on. Cause even, even though you and me, we, we don't believe in like Alexa or um, the Google home, like our phones are monitoring us all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to a friend about something and it'll pop up on like Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, you have to totally. think like, hey, so do I need to disable my mic so you can't hear me? And like, what are the loopholes? And it's like, it's, there's just a lot to think about. And I feel like the ethics piece is always universal. Like there's no one in the room who can't benefit from listening to the ethics portion of the conference. I want to go back to the conference itself because the first event that you had done was branded the Stanford Women in Data Conference. And I forget, was it your second or third event that you decided to rebrand and create your own and, and, and sort of peel away from Stanford? The third year. So the this third year. 2020. 
Why did you choose to do that? So we chose to do that for a few reasons. So with the help that we were getting from Stanford, it wasn't it wasn't substantial enough to like have to follow the the rules that accompanied it. Um, so we we basically like you basically get co-branded by them, and that's it. Um, because we had done two years already successfully, and we could see in Toronto that we didn't really need any more support like there's no filler content for our conferences because there's actually a lot of women in toronto who do data science work sorry what do you mean by filler content like we didn't need to fill any of our conference content with stanford content so they would actually give you i'm assuming like pre-recorded videos like here's 10 minutes from stanford or one of our speakers and if you're going to be using our brand, we need you to put in that video. Yes, yes, yes. And we, our days were so full, year one and year two, that we were like, we don't even have room to put you in. <laughs> There's so much amazing things happening in Toronto. We do not have room to put you in. <laughs> and we also wanted to make sure that we were being very intentional about like the intersectionality of women. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to focus on that which is not a main focus of the Stanford branded conference. Describe the differences. I'm not quite sure that you mean, for example, do you mean like the Toronto Women X and Data Conference yeah. only has, for example, only ever women on stage? Are you saying Stanford was different? Oh no, we're both only ever women on stage. Okay. I'm saying that like our mandate is like more pipeline and like speaker related that we wanna make sure that we are showcasing the intersectionality of women on stage. Okay. and the intersectionality of women in the in attendance so like because that's one of our biggest mandates we changed the naming of it and we separated from stanford and that's why you call it toronto women x which is literally literally an x looks like an intersection yeah i'm assuming <laughs> the um one of the things you had mentioned i believe there were some other rules associated with using the stanford brand aside from failure content um can you tell us a little bit about that um, some of the other things were, let me think, like the way that we could call ourselves. So we had to call ourselves Women in Data Science Toronto, which if you ask anyone who's ever come to our conference, they call it the Toronto Women Data Science Conference. <laughs> <laughs> so then like on every material, we had to make sure that it was like that. Um, we weren't allowed to like change any branding, which I'm pretty sure is just like standard stuff that you had to do. But we were we were really like creative with what we were doing. <laughs> we would change colors. Um, we even like their logo is like a woman with like flowy hair, which we were kind of like, do all women look like this? <laughs> um, there was rules around being able to pay speakers, um, around sponsorship, around um, the timing of the event, around. Um, just like the caliber of speakers, which would have stopped us from having having some newer speakers speak or speakers who are outside of their um, like their qualifications of who they saw should be speaking. So because of the like rigidity, we're just like, okay, like we're just gonna we're just gonna come up with our own rules. And especially since we were hunting for sponsorship by ourselves, we were looking for venues by ourselves, like the we were thankful for the first two years for like the awareness, but 
but honestly after the first year we didn't need any more awareness like we had already proven ourselves so so it was easier so i'm really grateful that we started with them but i feel like because toronto is such a powerhouse that we didn't need to continue that way and you said something really interesting and i think it might have been muffled a little bit by me laughing at like <laughs> how clever it was that you actually renamed your conference based on how people like your attendees were just casually calling the conference which yeah. i think is just really neat and clever it's just smart and and, and the rebranding and the designing is wonderful i love it if you have, if if those listening have not had a chance to check it out it is so smart it is so uh, um modern and and professional tell us about that rebranding process that took place so with the rebranding process so once we decided that we were going to rebrand this is like a group of four or five <laughs> yeah um one of the people who who helped us with the conference her name's Ari abdul she was just like, all right, guys, I'm just going to send you guys a few different branding ideas I have and colors. And we're going to get, we're going to basically like rebrand. So we did all that in like a week. So basically we were like super tight with each other, giving feedback and decided that like, these were the colors that we wanted. This was the branding that we wanted. Um, we really had to think about like what, what was going to differentiate our conference from like Stanford conference which I really think is like the intersectionality piece, ensuring the diversification of the pipeline. Like that's our main things that we are keeping ourselves accountable for. So we were just trying to make sure that at each step along the way that the branding showed that and that we were able to not, we didn't want to lean on any specific view of what any female is supposed to look like. So we have no pictures of what, what that's supposed to be. So you, you spent a, a few days, a handful of days rebranding, just sort of group of friends and you start planning, I'm assuming at that stage, the 2020 version yes. of the conference, which you wanted to grow. One of them we talked about was this pipeline idea. Like we need to bring in fresh new faces. We can't just go back to our Rolodex. And the other one is adding the workshop. Yeah. So really you don't have a Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had from the uh, conference number one and conference number two. You okay. could have just gone back to the while and asked these people to come back. Mm -hmm. But you really, like you were saying, you really wanted to showcase new voices, new new women, the, that intersectionality, and that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of work to do that kind of research, especially if you're going to add a workshop on top of it all. Tell us about that. The planning of the most recent 2020 conference. The planning of the most recent 2020 conference, I have to say, adding the extra workshop day was really ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> it was really looking back at it now, I was like, why did I give myself that extra work? But if I really think about the why, it's because if I'm if I'm talking about diversifying the pipeline, then I can't have you sit at a conference, listen to talks and go home. Yeah. Right. I need you to actually try doing some of these things. Because I know that if you if you try hands on, even if you go to one of the workshops, it'll be on your mind and maybe you'll try working at it more. Right. So it was kind of making sure that what was coming out of the conference was action based. So we planned this one as well in eight weeks. That's what happens when you work <laughs> and you organize a conference. OK, <laughs> so we did it in eight weeks. It was a group of four of us, which is wild 
we had less volunteers than we had before because it's two days the cost skyrocketed because you know you need to feed people for two days you need someone to put put them you need to market like there's a lot that goes into it so my windows actually in my condo were full of sticky notes <laughs> because that's how i that's how i organize what i'm doing with the conference i was bothering a lot of people in their message box on linkedin that's that's how i source people there's no secret sauce planning the workshop the workshops were really heavy to plan more than the um more than the speakers because speakers usually come with like this is my presentation the workshops because it's something brand new that we're doing it was more helping the facilitators think through like what they were planning to do during the workshops it's supposed to be hands-on right and like how much time they would need and what materials they would need so that was a new welcomed experience for us and it was just this year was just really heavy i feel like i wasn't able to recover from it until about now and <laughs> Well, um, was, actually, you know, I'm going to interrupt you right there because, again, you are being very humble. So I'm going to make sure that the audience knows this, that as you're planning the 2020 conference, you had a mini stroke. Yes. Yes, I did. Right. <laughs> and from the hospital, like, I mean, tell us a little bit about sort of that journey. I don't want to make assumptions as, as to how things went, but you were in the hospital for a few days, if I recall correctly, on how you explained it. Yeah, I was in the hospital for just like just a day. Oh, they, just a day. they let me out. They let me out, which I'm thankful for because I don't like hospitals, especially <laughs> since COVID had just started. So no one wants yeah. to be. There. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was like I was just, as I was saying, going through the motions because that's what you do when you're on these timelines. You go through the motions. I know I had limited resources compared to previous years. Getting sponsorship was harder than it was for previous years the costs were going up like insanely going up and i had to like look myself in the mirror and be like is this you is this what you're really doing <laughs> well just to give context for people your first event was had a budget of about twelve thousand dollars the yeah. 2020 conference had a budget of, i think you were saying sixty thousand dollars yeah yeah we were about sixty thousand dollars which, which was insane i paid a lot of it out of pocket which i don't regret because my my whole like, honestly, like if I'm not giving impact, that's, that's just a part of me. So if it's that I have to put in my own money to show you guys that this thing needs to happen, then that's what I'm going to do. But I find that like, definitely what I've been doing now, knowing that I got sick before is doing like an assessment of like, okay, where did I need the extra help? And how can I get the extra help? So like we're looking now at like we would need volunteers, but volunteers for what? Because this year I was doing I was doing the marketing. Like I was doing like Facebook marketing, Instagram, me. I know yeah. nothing about <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that. Um I always manage like the sponsorship. So I was doing that as well. The venue management I was doing. I did I did some speaking with with speakers, but not not too much. Someone else someone else is managing that. But the team is so small that's like you wouldn't know that it was just four people who planned this conference you would think that it was many more and it's and it goes so smoothly that no one no one knew i was sick listening to this podcast a lot of people are probably just learning that i was sick because <laughs> <laughs> nobody knew it was just something that like i was i was at the conference i was speaking 
I couldn't even, I was supposed to like be presenting speakers. And I had asked one of my friends if she could do it for me, Stephanie Henry, she's on study line. She was like, Oh, sure. So like, that's like, I had this polish to look because it seemed like I had an MC, but it was like, it was like an emergency sit in. <laughs> I really couldn't speak. Like my, I found my words slurring. So even there's a video that we did for like a recap of the event. And I, I have like a voiceover that I'm doing and I swear my words are slurring <laughs> and speaking super slow. So I'm going to release this video soon. <laughs> but I'm like, well, we need to let go of our pride. <laughs> um, but definitely, because the conference was maybe three days after I had the mini stroke. Yeah. So the fact that I was even there is insane to me. And I think it's insane for a lot of people. And I want to talk now a little bit as we're wrapping up, because we only have maybe a few minutes left. Um, you've already rebranded the conference. You have added a second day to the conference, but I'd like for you to take a few moments now to speak about sort of the future of the conference, maybe like five years down the road, 10 years down the road. What's sort of like your vision for it and yourself when it comes to data science, data literacy, and, and, and especially growing that community of women, uh, women of color, in the space itself because that seems to be something that's very important for you yeah so with covid it's kind of given us the chance to broaden without too much effort i would say i'm not too sure because we're still scoping out like what an online conference would look like but the reach could be more now because we can do a conference online so expanding out to different cities around the country is something that we're interested in doing like franchising um, yeah, like franchising. Um, we're also interested in having like a data literacy program that would help people who are either like not really interested in in data, but I would say like data consumers understand understand data a little bit better so that they can just be better citizens. Also for people who are looking to get into data science, something to help them kind of bridge that gap. Because I feel like once you get to a certain point, like the narrative is you can't get into data science or any technical field really. But I feel like you could, you could start over whenever you feel to start over and maybe people aren't getting that kind of bridge that they need to get over. And I feel like, I feel like data is gonna be as like simple as, not simple, but like everywhere as like typing was, you know what I mean? Like there used to be classes for typing. Now you have to type. So I feel like data is going to be something where you, you have to be literate in data. In some form or another, definitely. I think I definitely echoed that sentiment. Like you and I took those typing classes. Those don't exist anymore because it's I mean, I did. Oh, you didn't. I thought you said you did. No, no. I said there were typing class. Oh, there were. <laughs> not age me, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I just aged myself. I did take typing class in high school. And I remember, I still remember those exercises of like F, 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 J, 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 J. It was hilarious that way uh, to think about it. But, but I think you're right though. Eventually you need the, that data literacy element in our schools and other places. So like this becomes ubiquitous. There are no typing classes anymore because it's become ubiquitous. 
And one of the things I'd like to share a story with you real quick. And this is one of the reasons why I really wanted you to have on because of the current social climate. And one of the things that you had said at the very beginning of this podcast is when you went to, when you were looking at data science, you didn't see yourself there as a person, right? And, and there's a story I'd like to share because I'm a big Star Trek, the next generation fan. I don't know if you are or not. not. You're not. Ready for this story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Whoopi Goldberg is in Star Trek, the next generation, starting from the second season forward. And she, I'm not going to say beg, but she worked real hard in hoping to get a role because when she was younger, she was a big fan of Lieutenant Uhura in the original Star Trek series because she, as a black woman, never saw black women in science fiction movies and TV shows. Yeah. And that was very inspirational for her. And that's the reason why she wanted to sort of pay it forward a little bit for her audience to do it with Star Trek The Next Generation. And I remember vividly when she was on Star Trek The Next Generation and introduced, people were like, Whoopi Goldberg, she's a comedian. What is she doing here? Mm -hmm. But for an audience, it's, it's, it's really important to see yourself there in terms of what you've done, not just for data science, but I'm assuming as well for the community of women of any color who don't see themselves in a hard kind of data science environment. So maybe it's just my awkward white guy way of saying thank you and apologize if it was. It comes from a good place. So, so thanks for doing all that great work. Thanks, Richard. Before I let you go, where can people learn more about your conference, about yourself or anything going forward? So the conference, we do have a website. Um, so it's womenxdspo, um, which instead of an E, it's an X, like we've been speaking about. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's easiest to find me just on LinkedIn, Kishana Peck. There you go. Well, thank you so much, Kishana, for joining us and, and uh, telling us your story. And I want to thank, as usual, our audience for listening. And as usual, please leave a rating or a comment on how to make the podcast better or if there's any guests or any stories uh, that you'd like to hear. So until next time, let's make it open.